there are a lot of folks who don't work in the venture world, but want to work in venture capital or want to invest. I call it doctor lawyer money sometimes, or they want to play Shark Tank, but they don't really know where to start. By partnering with us and allowing us to do the due diligence on the front end for you, we have de-risked it. These are people that we have had relationships for one or two years, and we've watched the progression of the company, but we're also preparing a document for you that's going to open up the leading questions that you need to ask. Jason Whitney is the Vice President of Venture Development at IU Ventures and Executive Director of the IU Angel Network. He joins us on Talking Tech Transfer to talk about the Angel Network, why it takes care of due diligence for investors, and why it emphasizes the educational aspect of venture capital. He also discusses the origins and purpose of the Sports Innovation Initiative, which focuses on startups in areas as broad as apparel and esports, and reveals how an opera singer proved to him you should never go into a meeting with a preconceived notion of a founder's idea. Jason, welcome. Hey, thanks for having us. Greetings from Bloomington. Great to have you. To start with, and we're going to skim over IU Ventures a little bit because we had your colleague Tony on who talked about that. But can you give us an overview of your position within IU Ventures and IU Angel Network? Yeah, sure. It's evolved over time. I spent a lot of time focused on helping the commercialization of on-campus research for a while. Kind of transitioned that into the ecosystem strategic relationships portion of our organization and then into being the front end for our traditional venture fund and then being the executive director for the angel network. So I've been responsible for recruiting all the people that are in the network, as well as sourcing and vetting out the deals that we present to the angels as investment opportunities. Awesome. How does the IO angel network work? I know you charge a membership fee, nominal, I think $1,500. Yep. What was the reasoning behind that? Why are you making members pay rather than having to sign up for free? It's a little bit of a got to have some skin in the game situation, right? I, I was trying to not have a bunch of people who were going to muddy the waters, make communication difficult within the network and create more problems than they were going to provide good. So we put that $1,500 membership fee in there as a little bit of an obstacle to make sure that you were really vested in what we're trying to do, which is create a really dynamic innovation ecosystem throughout the Indiana University community globally. And that's been a really nice thing for us to be able to use as that benchmark. It has kept some folks out that I think we're probably just kicking the tires and we're going to take up some of our time. But it's really allowed the people who are members to feel a little bit more vested in what we're doing. You know, obviously, little bits of money here and there aren't going to drive the operations of our organization, but it does allow us to do some additional programming and provide some value back to our members that we can use that money for that we may not have had an opportunity to do without it. That makes sense. How big is the network at the moment? How many members do you have? Yeah, so we're at 96 members right now, and we were at 20 in February of 2020 when we first started presenting live investment opportunities to them. So we've seen a lot of really great growth. We made it to just short of 50 at the end of 2020, and then it was like the floodgates opened up once we got to 2021. So real excited about the growth that we've seen so far, and a lot of that's organic throughout 2021, which really excites me because it lets me know that the members of my network are making referrals back to their friends who are also joining, and it's allowing us to really spread out regionally throughout the country and give us some good coverage in all four corners. Yeah. I know they have to have a link to Indiana in some shape or form. Do they have to be based in the States or even Bloomington or are they wherever in the US or even globally? They actually do have a couple of global members. The difficulty is I can't allow them to invest in any of the opportunities, you know, Securities and Exchange Commission rules and regulations 
we can't offer securities to folks who are living in other countries. But what we did late in 2020 was offer up an educational membership at a $300 value, which allows people to join our meetings and participate in all of our activities and provide the value of their network and their careers back to both our angels as well as our founders. But it excludes the opportunity for them to invest in the deal. So those foreign members are able to join under that educational membership level. And they've provided a ton of value. Actually, one of them recently joined our advisory board for the network to provide some different opinions to that group. There is a fantastic story about how swimming and diving coach Doc Councilman brought innovation sports to IU in 1957. Yeah. And how that inspires the creation of the Sports Innovation Initiative. Yep. Can you tell me a little bit about what Councilman did? Doc Councilman was a fantastic swimmer in his own right and swam the English Channel. I think at one time he was the oldest person to swim the English Channel. Wow. For a very short period of time, like days, he held that title. Amazing man, but he used technology to enhance performance of his swimmers. So underwater cameras was one of the really major innovations that he instituted here at the Royer Pool, right in the middle of campus. And there was a point in time where the Indiana University men's swim team held nine of the 12 world records. They're highly regarded as the greatest sports team of all time, not just swim team, greatest sports team of all time for that recognition. And that was also a short period of time that they held uh, nine of those 12 world records. But, and he also instituted uh, hypoventilation training, which is reducing the amount of times that you breathe while you're swimming. So that was another innovation into the sport that he brought on that really changed the way people swam. That's a fantastic inspiration for focusing on sports now. How did you actually go about setting up the initiative? It's really pretty interesting, and it goes back about two years. And Tony, who's been on your podcast previously, he and I helped to organize an Internet of Things conference with our School of Informatics on campus. And one of the areas where we were focusing the conference was on sports. So we went to the athletic department and asked them to show us different ways that they were using IoT devices on the athletes to track their heart rate or the amount of time that they were running. And so they handed us all these sensors and they said the difficulty with these sensors is they create bulk amounts of data and it's difficult to sort through that data to do anything and make really good decisions with it. And Tony and I really kicked that idea around frequently over the next two years and kept thinking, there's got to be something here we can do to help support the athletic department to have better athletic performance, but also create new companies and create new innovations on campus. So it finally struck me as I had several angel investors approach me about joining the network and their main interest was in sports innovation. And I didn't have a ton of sports deals at the time. And I said, well, you know, I've got this idea over here floating around that really hasn't caught traction yet. And it kind of matches up with what you guys are thinking. I bet if I put a stake in the ground and announced that I'm looking for sports innovation companies, I could probably kick up some that I didn't find previously. So that's really where the inspiration for it was, was trying to marry those two disparate ideas together. And by doing that, we also were able to support some additional initiatives, which is supporting ex-athletes who are entrepreneurs, not necessarily in the sports space, but it's great for the athletic department to be able to say, athlete X is an entrepreneur, they graduated from the university, and we're supporting them in their endeavors. And then kind of phase three of where we were working that has really risen to phase one is asking the trainers and the folks within the athletic department, what's a problem space that you have? So this data management around sensors is one. And then just trying to keep the ball moving and get a project going to say, all right, can we solve that problem for them? Maybe it creates a company. Maybe it's just something we use internally. Maybe it's something we license to other universities to help increase their athletic performance as well. But 
that's kind of how that all gelled together. And so we created a small little sports advisory subcommittee with people from industry who are helping to support that as well as folks from the athletic department so that their needs are met as well. It's quite interesting that it came about maybe not quite organically, but it was very much kicking an idea around and then discovering that there was actually a need for what you had sort of wanted to do anyway. (laughs) Are there, I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but are there any other ideas that you are kicking around that you hope will eventually take off in the same way? Yeah, I mean, I think we actually have an opportunity to do other vertical specific things. The good correlation in the university space would be applied research, right? This is almost sports applied research. I think there's ways that we can involve other industry partners from med device, life sciences, biopharma, and do very specific targeted entrepreneurial endeavors in those spaces. Obviously, that takes time and money and people. But I think in the future, there's an opportunity to do that. I also think there's an opportunity for us at some point to create a sidecar investment fund around this specific space and involve maybe angel investors who don't want to do diligence or review materials, but would like to see a return on their money and be engaged with the university. So I'm hoping in the near future, we're able to create some kind of a fund that if our investors invest in one of these deals that we produce, the sidecar fund will automatically make an investment that give us an opportunity to create some deeper alumni engagement ties. Amazing. Do you have any or many angel investors that are interested in sports or even have a sports background? I know some athletes are quite active in the angel investment scene. We're just starting to dip our toe into approaching actual athletes about joining the network, but we have kicked up some interesting angel investors, one who runs a sports innovation fund in the United States, one that had a deep career at ESPN and the the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour, another who ran a sports marketing company and sold it to Learfield Sports. So these folks have tremendous industry ties. And what's funny is, as we travel around, well, we used to travel before the pandemic, as we talk to folks around the country and talk to them about the sports innovation initiative, everyone's immediately interested in engaging with us in some way on that project, right? And it's like, you know, what do you dislike? The unicorns or the babies, right? Everyone loves sports. Everyone in my ecosystem loves sports and loves Indiana University and wants to find a way that they can help support that. So it's been a really fun project for us to work on. And every day we uncover more and more folks who are in the sports space that want to participate in one way or another. That makes sense. I know, particularly in the US, sports is usually an element that really ties you back to your university. Even if you're not specifically yep. involved, you probably went to the games and yep. yeah, it's, it's something that'll draw you back in. Yep. Yep. For sure. What led to the, cause it's a fairly broad definition for sports innovation. It's even esports, apparel, data analytics. Yep. Was that by design? Did you set out or was that just you found deals in esports and, and those categories as well? No, it was very much by design. We did find deals that were in kind of each of those verticals, but very much by design, not so strictly just around sports in particular. I mean, esports is a huge industry, much larger than anybody realizes. You know, in the apparel industry, you know, smart fabrics and integration of sensors into the actual clothing itself. You know, we were working with a company from the East Coast that was just tracking sleep. And, you know, that doesn't really sound sports related, but then when you tie it back to athletes exerting themselves, are you getting enough sleep to get enough recovery to be able to perform at the top of your game? That makes a lot of sense. And it's a project that we want to help support. So that wide scope is wide on purpose. I think it'll probably even get a little bit more broad as we uncover some other projects that we haven't thought about. 
How big is your portfolio currently? Yeah, so on the angel network side, we have 12 portfolio companies currently. So that's about 14 months worth of work. And we have uh, several more that are in the hopper that I hope will close soon. We present one live deal to our network each month. So it can't grow too fast, but it can grow at a steady pace if you're bringing the right deals forward. But I'm really hoping as we start to integrate more of the sports projects, because we're still kind of incubating the ones that we would like to present to the network for investment opportunity. I'm hoping we can add a few of those from the Sports Innovation Initiative and really solidify its place on campus as a program that people want to support. There's a neat little video on your website as well where you talk to some angel investors. And what I thought was quite interesting was that you do the due diligence before you go to the angel investors. Yeah. You've already done risk to a certain extent. Sure, sure. Was that something that you wanted to do anyway? Or was that something that the angel investors wanted because fairly limited resources on their end, I suppose? It is a little bit different model than a lot of other angel groups where the angels jump in and do the due diligence and create teams around ideas. I think we used it as an opportunity to really engage with a much wider audience. There are a lot of folks who don't work in the venture world, but want to work in venture capital or want to invest, you know, I call it doctor lawyer money sometimes, or they want to play Shark Tank, but they don't really know where to start. By partnering with us and allowing us to do the due diligence on the front end for you, we have de-risked it. These are people that we have had relationships for one or two years, and we've watched the progression of the company. But we're also preparing a document for you that's going to open up the leading questions that you need to ask. And then we put those people in the room with experienced angel investors at the live pitch events. And you know, I always encourage folks who are new to the network to just sit and listen for a couple of meetings and write down every question that you hear. And then that's going to make you better informed when you get to meeting three, four, and five. I think that really serves everybody well. And we're super mindful at the end of our meetings for 15 or 20 minutes to allow everybody to kind of have an open forum to say, I'm new. I didn't understand what happened there. Can somebody explain to me? And the educational aspect of it has been really fun. And it's been um, really, really well received by both the new angels as well as the experienced investors. I really like that. It's not just having the people with money come in and throwing a few hundred thousand dollars at something. It's actually teaching them how to do it. And yeah. I suppose that gets you people who yeah, wouldn't have invested otherwise or might have lost a lot of money. Just For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely investments that have been made only because they were tagging along with people who were more experienced and then they allowed them to kind of interpret what was happening. But to the contrary to that, I also saw one deal fall apart. Because one very experienced investor had an issue with one aspect of the company. He voiced that and uh, three or four people fell off that I think would have invested had that not been brought up, something that was an issue for him. So it plays both sides of the fence there. But I think for the most part, it really helps us. And you know, what's funny is the educational sessions that we conduct every month that are topic specific with our angels. That was driven by the more experienced investors identifying that there were people who had gaps in their education and saying, I'll offer to provide a session back to the network on this topic. And so those sessions are generally led by other angels in the network who have experience in a space who are willing to share their knowledge and do one-on-ones with folks following that if needed. That is amazing. Even just watching Shark Tank on TV, one investor might mention something and the others kind of go, oh, damn, I did not think of that one or I, I didn't realize that was going on. And yeah, yeah. yeah. I hope <laughs> you're as aggressive at the IU Nation Network than you are on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, on Shark Tank, you know, Mark Cuban, obviously a big IU alum. If you watch that show, I have a ton of respect for the amount of 
effort that he puts into really educating the entrepreneurs who are standing there on things that caught his attention during this session. He's very mindful of that. And I really appreciate the work that he does there because I'm sure it bleeds across the country as folks watch hours and hours and hours of Shark Tank every night, or at least I do. (laughs) It's a guilty pleasure, definitely. (laughs) Is that something that... (laughs) My wife hates it. (laughs) It can be quite stressful, I admit. Yeah, depending on what's happening. Is that something that your angel investors do as well? Try and educate the people who are pitching to them and give them feedback on valuations or dilution or whatever? Our team really works hard to do a lot of that education on the front end before they get into the room. And because everybody is, for the most part, an alumni of the university, faculty members, they're tied to the university in some way or another. We view everybody that we work with as a constituent of the university for the rest of their life. So we want them to get the most out of the experience that they have with us. And we don't want 20 years from now them to be able to say, I had a bad experience with the IU Ventures team, and that's why I have disengaged from the rest of the campus. And so we do a ton of work on that being really honest with people and talking to them about things that we know are going to come up as obstacles when it's time to actually execute a deal. So my goal is honestly to have no questions at the meeting because I want to have those all addressed during the kind of pre-session. But then I always ask the angels for some feedback that they could then provide back to the startup company and give that to them, which they greatly appreciate. Just yesterday, I had an angel that had been through three rounds of due diligence, decided to not invest in the company for personal reasons, not because of the company, but he offered to do additional sessions with the founder to be able to talk to him about some of the things that he saw were going to be important to his growth going forward. And the founder loved that and the angel loved that. And, you know, that's really what it's all about, right? Everybody being, getting a better education and a good experience. We've kind of went off track there quite a bit. So let me just double check my questions. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> One of my, no, no, it's, it's very interesting. And I quite like having the actual conversation flow going. My next question that I did have written down was about the advisory boards. Can you tell me a little bit about that and why you selected those people to be on it? You know, it's uh, obviously trying to get a nice, diverse set of opinions. So racially, geographically, career, age. So there's a nice, broad swipe of folks. We have folks who have experience in working with the universities. We have folks who come from a technology background, a life science background, an academic background. So we're really just trying to make sure as we have our meetings with our advisory committee that we're able to put topics on the table for things that we want to move forward with and get opinions on, that they're able to give us a good wide set of opinions back that we can use to take into consideration to drive where the overall program goes. I did have one question about diversity as well. Yeah. How are you faring on gender balance, ethnic balance in terms of investors and in terms of the portfolio? I sat down at the end of 2020 and thought, well, I need to be mindful about where this metric is. And if I need to do some more targeted recruitment to balance it out, then we will do that. But I was pretty happy that we were 35% underrepresented on the angel side, which I felt like was a really good start without being mindful about it in the beginning, just taking anybody that knocked on the door. And so super happy about that space. I think on the portfolio side, we have 20% female founders. And then if you lump in all underrepresented categories, it's 40%. So we have a little bit more work to do to get that a little bit more balanced. We had a nice opportunity to have a female founder earlier this year, and we weren't able to get the deal done. And we're presenting a female founder this month. So I think we'll get closer to that 50-50 range, but pretty happy with where we're at right now without doing a lot of targeted efforts around it. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, they sound good numbers. 
Do you focus on any ESG, environmental social governance factors, when you select your companies or any kind of sustainability-focused areas? We don't focus on that, but it is a part of our criteria as we're vetting companies. What are the other good things that can happen from supporting this company, both to the community as well as to the campus proper? So some are improved academic performance by supporting a product. We have a company that fits into that category, but I wouldn't say we target those companies, but we definitely weight them in our decision-making process. Are there any, I think you said 12 companies in your portfolio, are there any noteworthy ones that you would select or that you like personally? I love all of my founders. They're wonderful, wonderful (laughs) companies. I think it's pretty interesting. They come from a variety of different spaces, which is great for us as we're diversifying the portfolio. The one company that I'll point out is a company called Stage Time. The founder, Jenny Mosier, has an undergraduate degree in opera from Northwestern. Wow. A master's degree in opera from the Indiana University Jacobs School of Music. And she was a designer. She was designing websites for opera singers. She's obviously a singer herself, and she shared a space in our co-working space with us. And in January of 2020, she asked to book a meeting with us. And I thought, what does this person want to talk about? Her concept was uh, (laughs) LinkedIn for opera singers. And I thought, this sounds terrible. I can't believe we're even going to have this meeting. After a 45-minute meeting, I said, what can I do to help you? I'm all in. She understood her market. She already had customers lined up. She was ready to go. She was very eager. She was coachable. I said, we're going to take a flyer. When it's time for you to raise, we're going to present this to the angel network. And I warned the angels in advance. I said, I'm going to say the phrase LinkedIn for opera singers, but I want you to go with me on this. And she presented for an hour straight and took rapid fire (laughs) questions. Never flinched once. It was maybe the best pitch I've seen in five years. And they were giving her some zingers. And at the very end of it, she said, I want to let you guys know, we just talked for the last hour about my business, but you don't even know that I can do this. And she plays a video of her singing this wonderful opera and just knocking it out of the park. And it was like the ultimate mic drop, like walk out of the room. Had we been in a room, I would have told her, you just walk straight out the door. The minute the meeting was over, I look at my cell phone on the table and it just starts ringing and it's angels in the network. How do I invest? How do I invest? I'll take the entire (laughs) round. I mean, they were trying to fight over who was going to invest in this deal. And I'm just laughing because I'm like, I would have never imagined that this company would have taken off like it did. Since then, she won every pitch competition in the state of Indiana last year. (laughs) She's currently in another fundraising round. It's unbelievable the amount of success that she's seen from a non-traditional founder from the school of music. That is phenomenal. Wow. Yeah, she's a very neat founder. uh, I'll have to do an interview with her. She sounds amazing as well as a person. Just an hour of pitching and then taking rapid fire questions. That's intense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's great. Really wonderful. I mean, you know, when I think back to my thoughts, it's probably a good lesson to not judge something before you walk in the room, right? I I just never assumed that this opera singer was going to put something on the table that I wanted to support. And it really wasn't even the idea that I cared about. It was her that we cared about that we really wanted to support. But since then, the idea has been vetted out and is real and is taken off into a really viable business. Wow, that's amazing. On a personal note for you, what brought you to IU Ventures and what has made you stick around? Yeah, that's a good question. IU alum, personally, my wife's an IU alum, lifelong Indiana basketball fan. And you mentioned earlier, basketball roots run deep in Indiana. So, you know, I had been working in the space for the state government 
to support innovation-driven entrepreneurs in rural communities for two years. And I had been doing that for five years prior to that on my own. So I had a good understanding of the fact that there was amazing people doing amazing work in non-traditional communities throughout our state and that we could really affect the future of the youth of our state by creating innovation-backed companies in the state. And so when the university called and said, hey, can you come and bring your network of people to us and try and support and accelerate the growth of our programming? It's literally a no-brainer for me to pick up my family over a 10-day period and move back to Bloomington and what do whatever I can to support the cause you taking the lead on the sports innovation initiative. Was that because you love basketball and it, you and Tony just happened to be the two people? Well, partially, right? But yeah, yeah, partially I love <laughs> sports, right? And so it's like, hey, I can hang out at the athletic department and work on work <laughs> stuff and, and do cool stuff, you know, like, yeah, right. And I'm a swimmer. I, I grew up a swimmer, so I can talk about Doc Councilman all day and we can do projects at the pool. Super fun. But, you know, it's also something that pushes the boundaries for me personally, right? I've spent a lot of time developing communities and starting programs from scratch. This is a program we saw a need for. I could figure out how to keep the ball moving and put the right people in the room to accelerate the growth of that. And then if it was going to launch as a program, somebody had to own it and take control of it and drive it forward. And so I uh, was happy to do that for our team. It also keeps Tony from asking me about it all the time. So as long as we keep the ball moving, then he doesn't say, what about that thing we were thinking about doing? Because <laughs> now it is a thing and we are doing it. Yeah, that's amazing. That pretty much brings us to the end. My last question was an open-ended one. If there's anything else that we haven't talked about that you want people to know. No, you know, the stuff that we've talked about is, are the things that I'm passionate about. I think the education side of what we're doing at the IU Angel Network is a piece that I'm very passionate about that I hope other angel networks will institute in their programs. And, you know, we're always open to uh, sharing everything we know about launching and running a program. If there's any other university leaders that are interested in reaching out to us, we do that all the time. And we're happy to do it as much as we can, because we always learn something from them along the way as well. And there's no reason to keep banging your head against the wall and trying to figure out something if someone else already has a roadmap for it that, that you can steal or borrow. I like that. It's stealing slash borrowing. I know a few universities like to uh, get inspiration from their colleagues. Thank you very much for joining us today, Jason. It's been a real pleasure. Very interesting to learn more about what you're doing at IU Ventures. And I'm sure we'll hear more from you. This is probably not the last time that we're going to talk to each other. No, it's great. Thanks for having us. I appreciate the opportunity. Talking Tech Transfer is hosted by me, Thierry Hillis. It is produced by Global University Venturing, a Morsonia Limited publication. You can find us at globaluniversityventuring.com, on LinkedIn as Global University Venturing, or on Twitter at GU Venturing. Our sound engineer is Mark Chatterley from In-Ear Production. You can find them on inearproduction.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an interview. We'd also really love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or if you share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps us grow our audience. You can also reach out to me directly with feedback. Just email tehelis at globaluniversityventuring.com. That is T-H-E-L-E-S at globaluniversityventuring.com. Until next time, have a great week, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you.